Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Steel Wars is returning to the Scum and Villainy Cantina on Saturday afternoon, March 10th, for a special podcast panel commemorating the finale of Star Wars Rebels. The weekend of its conclusion. Join a special expert panel to break down the pros, the cons, the ins and outs of the Ghost Crew and their adventures and react to what will be a controversial finale. And Australia Steel Wars returns to the Melbourne International Comedy Festival for three shows over the Easter long weekend. Friday the 30th of March, Saturday the 31st of March, and Monday the 2nd of April, 2pm. Tickets for all these shows are available at SteelWars.com. This episode of Steel Wars features occasional coarse language. If you're around sensitive ears, move along. This is not the Steel Wars episode you are looking for. There are, however, many other family-friendly, clean episodes on our iTunes feed or SteelWars.com. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Steel Wars is brought to you by Harry's Shavers. Harry's is so confident that you're going to love their blades, they're going to give you their trial shave set for free. Just click harrys.com forward slash Steel Wars. The link is in the show notes. Hey guys, welcome to Steel Wars. I'm comedian Seal Saunders and I do love Star Wars. And each week we find someone of interest to talk about it with. And today we are deep in New York City with toy designer, bootlegger, artist extraordinaire, the Suck Lord. How you doing, Suck Lord? Oh, that's quite a list of titles and accomplishments. Thank you, Mr. Steele. I appreciate it. Well, how did you introduce yourself last night? The Super Suck Lord. <laughs> I'm a toy bootlegger. I'm a Star Wars artist. And I'm a reprehensible character of uh, dubious reputation. I love your dubious reputation. I'm quite fond of your dubious reputation, actually. You just took me to your studio, which is in Chinatown. East Chinatown. Oh, so- sorry. Sorry. I didn't, I didn't want you to be associated with those West Chinatown. Well, those it's distinct. Those guys making like legitimate toys over there on the West Chinatown. There's there's, there's bootlegs and there's bootlegs of bootlegs. They disgust me. But um so you sent me into this building and there's all these I had to walk up these stairs, there's all these like little doors and and people hanging out and it was an adventure. I thought I was buying a Mogwai there for a moment, but it was just the Suck Lord Studio. I'm glad I was able to curate that experience for you. <laughs> you were very um, prestigious. You gave a talk at an art gallery last night about the art of bootlegging toys. And 
what I liked about it was bootlegging is kind of, it's like a bad word, but like the way you explained it was quite like sort of poetic and artistic. Uh, I'm I'm glad I was able to convince you of that. I mean, there's the the practice of appropriation. You know, is is not new in any sort of form of art. You know, it's about uh, borrowing other works by other people and then sort of altering them or manipulating them some capacity. And hopefully, if you're successful, making it your own. And I just that tends to be what I what I do. I take pieces of Star Wars figures and other action figures and kit bash them and chop them up and you know recontextualize them and use them to serve my own ideas and my own fantasy life and because of the somewhat illicit nature of it with the you know copyright infringement and the sort of you know questionable quality of some of the things and also being as how we're located in New York City and that there's a there is a sort of performative um aspect to to acquiring these things you know when you come to some of these places where i operate it doesn't it looks a bit sinister so it just seemed more appropriate to just call them bootlegs give it a sort of to sort of like take the pretentiousness off the concept of appropriation and just kind of call it what it is which is just uh you're just a glorified rip-off artist essentially so that's 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 where the bootlegging term came from well no one wants to buy an appropriated figure but a bootleg figure that sounds exciting. Well, people people like to commit crimes. People <laughs> people like to commit crimes in the safety of their own home. They like to do transgressive things, and there's something appealing about buying something that's wrong or it's unofficial or it's unlicensed, especially for Star Wars fans. You know, like collecting Star Wars toys can be a bit of a, a square thing to do. It's it it can be boring. It's 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 challenging going after you know some of the chase pieces and stuff like that. But it exists within a sort of safe space. And I think when people get tired of that, you know, it's like when people move from um, smoking weed to smoking crack, they uh, they need they need more. They need something more. They need they need something to be something to be a bit dubious and diabolic and unquantifiable in a way. And then they want to you know take a walk on the wild side if it were so when you get tired of buying regular stormtroopers and you want a, a, a fake gay stormtrooper then you come see me and I, I try to make it as, as criminally minded as, as I possibly can well I think for a lot of listeners particularly ones that go to like comic cons and stuff around America they the, the figure that they probably have seen is the gay empire figure which is a pink stormtrooper looking character with a bigger dick and and quite buff topless and buff and he's got the stormtrooper helmet on well he's a riff off the power of the force line that's why he's so buff ah okay so if there was like a vintage gay empire figure he'd which there is there is yeah there's probably about 10 versions of that and one of them is is just a straight lift off the off, off the counter figure the vintage counter figure so let's start there's that- a there's a uze one too Ooh. it's a gay uzai Nice. It's what? like a pink snow trooper. Okay. The pink star. The pink star. Very nice. Get it? That's for the very deep vintage collectors. That is a, a sweet reference. Explain how that one came about. You know, I have limited ideas. 
you know, as a creative person, I probably only had one really good idea, which was to like do these Star Wars knockoffs. And the uh, the gay one, the gay stormtrooper, was the was the most successful one. So every once in a while, when I when I have no idea what the fuck to do and I need to make some money, I just find a way to redo the gay empire figure. And you know, there's a lot of different stormtroopers, so I try to make a different version of the the stormtrooper, make it gay. And when I made the when I came when it came time to do the the snowtrooper. It was clear what the bootleg affiliation was with the snowtrooper with the blue star, so I just sort of took it in that direction and just made it. That was the Uzai one. We probably should explain what the Uzai is because what people don't know. No, we're, we're, we're the podcast for for the layman. Do you know what I mean? The we're, Uzai. Is, we don't just have Gus Lopez listen to this thing. Well, do we have to explain who that is too? <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna wind up going down some some serious sarlacc holes here, but uh, well, the Uzai is a line of Turkish bootleg Star Wars figures. I guess they came out relatively soon after the original line. Uh, uh, apparently, for whatever reason, you couldn't get legitimate licensed Star Wars figures in Turkey for some reason. I mean, I guess Palatoy did the European. It was, it was a British company that licensed the Kenner stuff, and I guess they distributed it through throughout Europe. But for whatever reason, it didn't make it. To, to Turkey, and so some intrepid toy company took it upon themselves to just copy the figures, and they called it Stars War Uzai. I had a Turkish friend of mine translate what Uzai means, but I forgot. And uh, and they and they sort of did a line of figures, and they all had very peculiar names, like the Royal Guard was done. They changed all the colors, you know, like the snow the snowtrooper was blue, called the Blue Star with. Yellow eyes. Yeah, and then they had the headman, which was like the Imperial Royal Guard without the cape, and he had like a, I think it was a Clash of the Titans shield or something, and that's one of the most sought-after ones. And then they had the Death Star Gunner, which is the famous one where they have, the the packages are ridiculous because instead of showing us still from the movie, it's just a picture of the figure itself in some sort of action pose, and the Death Star Gunner is like running this big, control panel and it's actually just a fucking calculator and uh people people collect these things on their own not as a substitute for a star wars figure but just as a as a thing unto itself and then if you really want to go down the hole there's like mexican bootlegs polish bootlegs um bootlegs from all over the world that just take on these bizarre shapes and forms and i'm i'm definitely inspired by that in my in my own work and especially because uh the quality of these things don't always hold up so if you're making a bootleg toy you know you only have to try like 65 percent of the time you know to get it right and and you've succeeded so works in that way but that's what the uzai figures are i one of the like i love japanese star wars toys like i just i just find the detail and they just do it like at this extra level and kubrick they did like official licensed Kubrick versions, like the little yeah, of, did a, of a, the Uzar. Yeah, they did. Well, because it's it's found its way into the lexicon. You know, it's like as far as you know Star Wars collecting goes, especially at that time, because those figure in the so called dark ages of Star Wars when there was nothing new coming out, and you know collectors like Steve Sansweet or whatever um, had had everything. So you needed, if you needed more shit, I mean, you have to feed your habit. You know, collecting is sort of a weird addiction for some people, and they needed stronger and stronger stuff, and that was the place to go because those, you know, those those were 
that was uncharted territory. In fact, a friend of mine, Lev from uh, Toy Tokyo, a famous toy store here in in uh, New York, is one of the first guys to actually bring the Uzai figures to America. And he tells this fantastical story about how he had a ride up a mountain on the back of a camel to get up to this factory where all these stashes of Uzai figures were and he and you know he had to do this, bribe all these customs officials to get them out of the country and it was like uh it was just a a really uh weird story about how how far he had to go to get this shit and I think that's what makes bootleg collecting interesting to people is that it's not it's not just the object itself it's the 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 adventure of finding it yeah, and you. There was one that you had last night, which was a pack of what was that? The superpowers one. Sense of right. Sense of right, and it was like it's Shrek, Batman, Spider Man, Superman, and a Power Ranger. Power Ranger and Lightning McQueen from Cars, all on this sort of imaginary super team called the Sense of Right. Not a conviction of right, mind you, just a sort of a just, sense of it. Just a vague... Yeah, a vague sense of it. A gist yeah, of correctness. gist of correct. <laughs> I'm actually going to make that. Gist of correct? Yeah, that's yeah, good. I'm going to actually write that down. Okay. Anyway, we recorded it, by the way. Go on. I hope you guys are enjoying the podcast with the suck lord so far, and trust me, it just gets better. Love this conversation. But I would like as many people as possible to hear it. So I'm asking you, I'm reaching out for you to help me to pod it forward. There is a link at the top of the show notes. If you click on that link, it will take you to the Twitter announcement of this episode. Just hit retweet or quote the tweet and write a little reference yourself and let your followers know that we're doing good stuff on the Steel Wars podcast. If every person that listened to this podcast got one extra person to listen, then we'd double our audience. It is simple mathematics. But it only works if you, you do it. And by expanding the audience, it allows us to do bigger and better things, which results in more content for you to listen to. Hit that link in the show notes, pot it forward, and I thank you so much. And now... Back to the show. What What is your first memory of Star Wars? Uh, I was in elementary school. I was in third grade. And somebody had like a pack of trading cards or something like that. Like uh, the first image I ever remember, which, which, which is that scene of the TIE fighters firing upon the X-Wing. And I was like... To me, I thought it was one ship. You know, I thought it was like the X-Wing was the front of the ship and the TIE fighter was the back and was connected by these beams. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? It's like, it's Star Wars. It's like, I didn't give a fuck. I must have been like eight years old and I was really into Donnie and Marie. That was my shit. I was into like uh, the Osmond brothers, Donnie and Marie, the Jackson 5. I was, you know, I was into, I was into all that shit. And I so you were edgy back then? Well, I don't know how edgy that was, but I mean, that's what I was into. I was, you know, and I just didn't, I, 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 I didn't have room in my in my in my limited faculties for something new. And this movie had just come out called Star Wars and everyone in my class had seen it and I had zero interest in it. I did not give a fuck. I was into Donnie and Marie and I didn't want to I didn't want to I just didn't I didn't care at all. And then but it was such a, you know, it was such a phenomenon that my father forced me to go see it. He was like I cannot let my poor son grow up deprived, you know, like the rest of the world is is focusing on this fucking incredible film and my son doesn't want to see it. You're going. So he forced me to go see it. 
And, and you know, of course, the second the fucking Star Destroyer passed overhead, that was it. I, I didn't think about Donnie and Marie again for the rest of my life. What about when they did their Star Wars special? A holiday special? I watched that on TV. No, the Donnie Marie, they did oh, some. Oh, yeah, I love that. That was per- perfect uh, fusion of with uh, Paul Lind as Grand Moff Tarkin and uh, Thurl Ravencroft doing Darth Vader's voice. It's the same guy that does all those commercials on... Um, Ho, 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 Green Giant, and uh, they're great. He's this famous voice ah, actor. okay, yeah, yeah, He yeah. did that. He sung, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. He was a famous voice actor at the time because he had that really baritone voice, and he did the Darth Vader voice on the Donnie and Marie show. Chris Christopherson, I think, was Han Solo. Did the Dancing Stormtroopers. Oh, I fucking love that. But that was my, that was my, uh, that, that was, you know, I was there at that time. I saw the holiday special on TV. And I knew it was bad. I mean, I loved it, but I knew it was bad. But the thing, the thing that really influenced me more than anything else was the documentary, the making of Star Wars, which I guess came out, and we had that on VHS. I had a, I had a VHS player like way back in like 1978, 79, and it was fucking gigantic, you know. But we had that. You couldn't get Star Wars on tape for the longest time, you know. You could only see Star Wars in the fucking movie theater. So at the making of Star Wars, and they showed all, you know, at the, you know, clearly it was all practical effects, and it seemed doable. You know, it seemed like, you know, it was all being made out of junk. The kit bashing, how they used all the model kits to make the surface of the Death Star. That, I, as a kid, I was like, I could do this, you know. And, I, and that it was almost the making of Star Wars almost had equal influence on me as the film itself. Cause, and, that's, and that's what sort of inspired me to become a creative person and to actually try to make shit and making movies and toys and stuff like that. I was trying to bootleg like, Star Wars figures when I was nine years old. You know, I had a bar of soap. And I took the Greedo figure and I smushed it into the soap and then poured like a melted green crayon into it, you know, in order to like make a copy. The Greedo was my favorite figure. So I wanted to like make a f- copy of the Greedo. I, I don't know. I don't know. I just intuitively thought to do that. That is amazing. Yeah. Well, now 40 years later, <laughs> yeah. it's my job. <laughs> the soap figure you need to make. That's, that should be one of the, the Succord throwback series. That's, that's some deep lore shit. So I don't know. And and what characters in the film? Like who was your, who's your guy, or your girl, or your droid? Well, I mean, I was a Han Solo guy until Empire came out, and then I was a Boba Fett guy. I was a Boba Fett guy pretty much since the holiday special and the mail away figure. You know, it's like I just I was immediately captivated by that character. You know, once he when you actually see him in Empire Strikes Back, yeah, it's a little disappointing because he doesn't do much, but the the mystery and the allure of that character. It's like I was I dressed I did Boba Fett for Halloween on night in 1979 a year before Empire came out because I knew who he was from the holiday special and the figure, the mail-away figure, and you could buy the the Ben Cooper costume. And it was weird. It was silver for some reason. The mask was silver, and that's why the Suck Lord costume today is silver. But um, That's delightful. Yeah, I still dressed in this version of this, this costume is the, This is today. my favorite episode of The Wonder Years. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for me, what's great is like I'm almost fucking 50 years old now, and it's like I... I the fact that Star Wars has just been this continuous thread throughout my life, you know, and how even as a grown adult, a middle-aged person, there's still material there, and it's not like a nostalgia trip, you know, it's not like I'm trying to relive my childhood, it's like, it's still applicable to my life currently. Yeah, it's it's continuous. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's like, I listen a lot of times when Kevin Smith reviews these the movies, and he's like, oh, that made me feel like I was nine. You know, it's like, okay, that's cool. That was your experience of it. And, uh, you know, I'm glad you're happy. But I don't need to feel nine 
you know I want to enjoy Star Wars as 49 you know and have it appeal to me as an adult you know because it still has purpose and meaning in my in my everyday life and it still influences my current creativity not my past creativity but like what I'm doing right now you know and so that's why Last Jedi was such a great a great gift to Star Wars fans because it's like it it did in a way sort of pull the rug out from you you know as far as like you thought you were safe here you know like Force Awakens was a very safe space for our our throwback feelings and now suddenly the floor is moving and that's life you know that's what happens in actual life and Star Wars is not this sort of like flotation device that's going to get you through you know your 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 middle age you know you got to keep it moving you got to keep growing and changing with the times and that's why that's why I like the fact that uh, Last Jedi was a bit of a curveball for some people so do you have a theory like obviously the Last Jedi it's had like like people love it but then it's had this very strong like negative reaction from people that feel like their childhood has been who knows but your childhood's still there everyone it's 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 in your mind but we already got fucked but the by the prequels already like sort of took that away from us so but what like do you have a theory about like that sort of person that is like i want to feel nine again and then it's shifted that it's sort of like are, are, are people like relying on like star wars being perfect this is in my head to make up for what's going on in their life. Like, it's sort of like Luke Skywalker wasn't perfect. And it's like, yeah, but who's perfect? Like, yeah. it got, not everything is the Sarlacc pit that works out like a convoluted plan that works out perfectly in life. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I mean, uh, I, I think myself included. I mean, I hated it the first time I saw it. You know, I'm four in now and it took me like, I started. I, li- I liked it the second time I saw it after I read a bunch of people's think pieces on it, and I meditated a little about it. It didn't give me exactly what what I expected and what I wanted. And I think, uh, you know, there's there are the, the people that made that the, the 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 men's rights activists that made that cut that took all the women out of it. It's like I I don't. Yeah, there's some. I think there's some deficiency in certain people, you know, that are if you're looking to like a Star Wars movie to like, which I'm also guilty of, but looking to a Star Wars movie to like sort of like give some sort of meaning or purpose or structure to your life, you're probably gonna be disappointed in some way, shape, or form. Or I just think that it's it it is it is a sort of religious thing to some people, you know. This is like a, a question of faith to certain people, and. If that faith gets shaken in some way, it just like it's very upsetting to people. It's what about the phenomenon of Luke Skywalker wasn't perfect, so I'm going to go on the internet and be the biggest asshole possible. Like it's it's like their reaction to it is so the opposite of what the character of Luke Skywalker would want you to do. Maybe I, I I don't know. I mean, I saw I saw that coming. I mean, they set that up in in Force Awakens that he was going to be a damaged person. You know, I mean that he ran away. I mean, obviously you you weren't going to find a, a a totally well person there. I don't I don't I don't I I don't buy that. But it was what what I find interesting is that, and I, I'm guilty of this too. It's like 
you get mad at people who take it too seriously, and then you get mad at people who just dismiss it. It's just a fucking Star Wars movie. Like uh, my friend uh, Nick Gazen wrote an article for Vice Magazine reviewing the film, and he wrote it in a very Vice Magazine tone where it was sort of dismissive and just like, ah, oh, it was kind of good, it was kind of stupid, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And he posted on Instagram, and I started taking t- – t- I, I said, like, oh, this is the most misunderstood Star Wars movie ever. And he was like he, – he mocked me for the suggestion that you could misunderstand the Star Wars movie. Like, he's like, this movie is not important enough or not serious enough for it even to be, you know, deeply analyzed. And it's like that offended me. You know, it's just like whatever your takeaway from it is at the end of the day, whether it's a good movie or a bad movie, it did what you thought it was supposed to do. It has incredible gravitas and weight and importance to people, whether you're a casual fan or whether you're a diehard fan. It's super important. Every single fucking frame of that movie matters. And to have somebody dismiss the whole thing as just not being important, like I was really, really personally offended by that suggestion. And it's like I, I respect people who are diehard fans that didn't like it and have their reasoning for not liking it, but they're still treating it, the material, as significant and important. And to have it dismissed as just some dumb movie that doesn't matter, that just hit, that just, that bothered me deeply. I was deeply offended. Like you insulted my religion. Yeah, it's definitely, like it's so, like it's just there that people can misunderstand it or not get, like I was talking to someone on Twitter today and they were, you know, bummed about Luke Skywalker. And it's like, oh, he did nothing. And I'm like, oh, he inspired a galaxy. That was, you know, that was his parting shot, was to inspire a new generation. It's like, well, what proof of that is there in the film? And I'm like, the last scene. The little dude with the boom. <laughs> like, it's like, that's the whole point of the scene, is that, like, they're telling the story of Luke Skywalker that's been, like... With action figures, mind you. Yes. Oh, my... We're... I mean, it was a pretty obvious, heavy-handed move, but perfect. Yeah. You know, um, very meta commentary, in a way. I, I understand. Like, Star Wars is like, I went to the Disney store in Times Square today, and there's like, there's everything. Like, it's crazy. And how do they not make toys of those toys? They're the ones they pro- I want. They probably will. Well, they didn't. There was ones, there were toys in Rogue One that yeah. like, Jin had, and they never, I was like, I can't wait to buy that Stormtrooper. It's going to be awesome. They'll probably get to that eventually. When? When, Sucklaw? I don't know. I mean, they're leaving the door open for you, buddy. What I'm maybe what I'm really looking forward to is like vintage style versions of the newer characters, which I don't think they're ever going to do. But I, I would love to have like a like a shitty like 1979 Kenner version of Darth Maul, you Dude. know, with just five points of articulation. I I think three comic cons in a row. At the Q and A, it has bro. It said, "Hey, you guys ever thinking about doing?" I asked that too. Yeah, like I want, I want telescope. Like I want a lightsaber coming out of the hand ray. And what did they say? They're like, "Oh, not at this time. We don't want to go backwards." I asked Daryl the priest one time. Do you know? Do you know him? Yeah, maybe? yeah, yeah. I asked him once, and he says, "We don't like to go backwards." And I, I can, I can kind of dig it because, in a way, you can't. Like you, it'd be artificial in a way because it's like, do you look at like. Return of the Jedi Endor hands face. I mean, that shit does not look like anything like Harrison yeah, Ford at but go, all. But go into Toys R Us and look at one of those action packs and look at one of their faces and it's it's no good also. But I just almost like the, the original Luke Skywalker, that weird blonde helmet. I mean, I don't know wh- wh- where the fuck that came from. I guess at the time, you know, it wasn't that important, but like... 
that that naivete that was required to make those figures look that way you can't you'd have to fake it yeah there's something about like at the time we were so excited to have the figures it was them like you didn't question the face like the um i never had it when i was a child but you know my whole thing was like i want all the vintage figures that like that was like i'm always trying to impress seven-year-old me and seven-year-old me would think it was really cool that I took that collect them all thing on the back of the card really seriously and collected them all. And one of the last figures I got was the Luke Stormtrooper. Dude doesn't have a chin. Like and his head is tiny. It's bizarre. Like there's no way you could ID that as Mark Hamill at any point in his life. But we love them. The Jedi Luke was almost there. By the time you got through the turn of the Jedi, like the Lando Calrissian figures, the Skiff Guard and the Lando General were getting there. Lando's good. Lando gets good figures. Yeah. I think he, he but got... But I mean, no, but the, the, the best pin Lando looks ridiculous. He looks like fucking Sammy Davis Jr., which is not <laughs> bad, you know, but it's like, it doesn't look, I mean, it's preposterous, you know, it's, but I don't think you could go back. I mean, I, I think they could try. You know, you could have creative people figure out, like, where, where, how are we going to make, like, uh, a fucking Qui-Gon Jinn figure somehow, you know, not look at all like Liam Neeson? You know, may, maybe, they could, maybe they could figure that out. But uh, I, don't, I don't know if they would, you know, give it the vinyl cape. I would fucking love that. I would fucking love that. What about um, background characters? Who did you love that was sort of like working up the back? Well, I mean, how background... Is Greedo considered background? Yeah, yeah. I'd say he's pretty background. He's on, he's on the fringe, but... My favorite... I mean, I love the Greedo figure till this day as my favorite action figure of all time. What'd you love about him? The color palette. That aquamarine and then that sort of dark green and then that sort of lime green was perfect. He never had the vest. What I did when I was a kid, I had this old line of... Um, trucker figures called cb mchall i don't know if you ever heard of that but they were like they were Mego figures and they were the kind that were in that weird squat stance and there was like there was like a cb radio craze in america in the 70s and uh you know 10-4 good buddy breaker breaker and all that and they had these trucks that had like a little cb radio that you'd plug into it for the rest of the podcast at the end of every sentence do you want to just say over yeah, over. Okay. No, no, I don't. And I don't think anyone wants that. But <laughs> And there was a, a couple of bad guys. They they repurposed these figures in the Chips line. There was Chips figures, and they had, like, the two bald bad guys, the guy with the eye patch. And I used one of those figures for a Gigi Allen figure recently. But uh, that's what's fun is going back and finding all these old figures and then finding a new home for them but they they one of the guys had a vest one of the truck drivers one of the good guys cb mccall himself i think was the main character of this cb radio truck line he had a little brown rubber vest that you could remove so i took that off him and i put it on greedo you know and that was to me the most ultimate fucking thing ever so it was definitely greedo i liked uh a Gorindon, we called him Snitch back in the day, the Imperial Spy. I love that fucking guy. Oh, what about when Hasbro dropped that figure? That was like, yeah. Oh, what a what a what a great day in Toys R Us. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. And there's guys I've seen that have taken the head off of that figure and put it on like a, a vintage Imperial officer body with a vinyl cape and made like a vintage style version nice. of it. I mean, I jerk off to that fucking shit. I wanted, like, I had that thing of like, I wanted to make my own custom line and I'm sure tons of people have done it of you know like Phantom Menace figures and mm-hmm. like but I just 
then I just, when am I going to do? I'm going to I'm going to chop off the head of a bunch of figures. They're going to sit on my desk and yeah. I mean, I don't know. I do that all the time. I mean, I I took the death squad commander and painted the helmet white and painted him to look like the rebel trooper. Nice. You know, I mean, that's like I sometimes when I can't sleep, like to this fucking day, I will lay in bed awake and list off all the figures that they should have made in the vintage line. <laughs> you know, it was like the R four droid, the rebel fleet trooper, they made Captain R4? Antos. No, 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 they made R five. They didn't make R four. R, the R four units are the one that have the slightly more taller cl- cl- uh, uh, c- uh, cone shaped heads. Oh, Remember when yeah. they capture all the rebels and they're marching through the blockade runner, and there's two R two units, and the one has that weird like a, a hexagon sort of top. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like an R, that's an R four unit. They should have made him. They should have made fucking the sand trooper. They should have made um, Uncle Owen, Aunt Baru. They should have made the fucking bartender. They should have made um, Grandma fucking Tarkin. They should have made. Um, they made it much later, but the 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 gunner they should have made General Dodonna. Uh, they should have made all of those guys, and I just sit there and I list all this shit in my head for some reason, just for fun. And um, Han Solo and Stormtrooper disguise. Yep, they never made him. And it's so it's such an easy one to make. One of my other favorite background characters was the Lance Beater salesman, that weird ass looking creature. They made it subsequently. Willow say I think the character's name is. He looks like a. Like a squashed a bug fe- head? It's a female, actually. Oh, sorry, sorry. But, uh, yeah, it's no like disrespect. a cloak on with like four eyes and just like, you know, you only see her in that one shot. The CZ droids, those white droids. Dr. Everson. Yeah, Dr. Everson. Fuck, they didn't make um, the cantina guy, band guys. What the fuck? They didn't make those guys. I mean, these are the things I fantasize. There's less in Empire Strikes Back. And by the time you get to Return of the Jedi, the coverage is pretty fucking good. But... You know, whatever. These are these are things we'll get when we when we go to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> I truly believe that. The first thing the first thing I'm gonna that that's gonna happen when I go to heaven. Fuck all my pets and all that shit. They're gonna sit me down and they're gonna screen the fucking sequel to the Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings movie. That's the first thing I'm gonna watch in heaven. <laughs> first thing. First fucking thing. Okay. All right. Nice. What you talk about like appropriation and i learned last night that the first thing that you appropriated from star wars was noises yes um which now you released like a like a like a hip-hop sort of cd or tape breakbeat breakbeats and which like now it's sort of quite like a common thing but in the mid 90s quite groundbreaking i guess yeah I guess so. I mean, I just have always been inclined to, besides... Just go with my compliments, all right? Yeah, no, I was... Just run with them. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I guess I was pretty innovative at the time, and so I get jealous, you know, when I see other people have greater successes with some of the things that I thought of, like, 20 fucking years ago, but, you know, I can't can't carry that around with me it's gonna you know gives you gives you gives you fucking agita you say you can't carry it around but i i i've known you for a day and i think you do a pretty good job of carrying it around i mean (laughs) i think part of being a creative person is sometimes having to live with the fact that other people might get glory and rewards for things that you thought of just because for whatever reason either their timing was better or their execution was better or their happen to be in the right place at the right time and you weren't and you have to live with that kind of shit and it's like I've never really been one to fully distance myself from my angst or frustration or jealousies I feel like in a lot of ways those are powerful tools you know I mean I always did kind of 
admire or felt attracted to the Sith Lords and the and the bad guys in the films, and I feel like po- properly marshaled things like jealousy and resentment and anger could be transformed into motivators. You know, it's like I don't really believe in revenge by hurting somebody else, but I believe in revenge, you know, in the say or some sort of absolution of of like of succeeding, like living well or having done the greater thing as a way to get satisfaction out of out of old failures, you know, like everything the, the whole thing that drove me into being coming a bootleg toy artist, which is now my claim to fame and my success and my money was uh being 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 closed out of and left out of other groups you know other group other either like you know i worked for hasbro for a long time in this very low level job and i had these big dreams of being working on the star wars line the reason why i put out that star wars breakbeats album in the first place because i wanted lucasfilm to hear it and hire me to make shit like that and none of that ever happened for me and uh, this sort of feeling of being left out or ignored you know motivated me to keep trying new things and to keep pushing forward and it's like you know maybe the you know seeking fortune and glory you know is not necessarily the most admirable thing to do but if you're an artist you're an ego-driven person you know and it's like you want that you know and it's like it keeps me going you know it's like the reason why i started making bootleg figures is because no one else would make my fucking toys for me i looked i went i already went through all the mainstream channels and they told me to fuck off so I had to make my own lane, and it actually wound up being the better thing for me and the world. Yeah, and I, I think the thing about like the word bootleg is is you know what you explained last night, which was was really interesting. Is like your stuff is like can be like called bootleg, or you know even you know like like I I do t shirts that I don't consider bootlegs. I, I think they're like expressions of fandom. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and it's not like a bootleg, as you explained it, was something that's trying to fool someone into thinking that they're buying something they're not or fool someone else that they've bought something that they haven't. Right. Whereas your stuff is more of, it, it's saying something. There's a bootleg aesthetic to it, but it's really, you can't make, you know, and this is an oxymoronic statement, a real bootleg you know, in any sort of ironic way. It's like a real bootleg is a fucking counterfeit item that's supposed to stand in for the real thing. But if you're doing that, unless you, if you're in a creative person, like, and you're making a t-shirt, you know, and you're using a licensed thing, but you're putting your own spin on it, it's really not a fucking bootleg. It's fun to call it a bootleg, and the bootleg aesthetic works. That's why my whole company is called Suckadelic, is because, like, it's the quality isn't as good. So you can get away with making something sort of shitty and people actually appreciate that as sort of like built into the to the brand. You know, it's like I know when I buy a psychedelic thing, it might be a little rough around the edges or the registration marks might be off or, you know, there might be a fucking thumbprint on it. But, you know, it's a bootleg. So what the fuck, you know, and this was made by some sort of reprehensible individual who's committing a crime. So, of course, it's going to be shitty and you just have to. And there's something beautiful about that. Like you look at some of those. Mexican bootlegs and like the sense of right and there's something so brilliant about it that you as a self-aware artist are striving to create the innocence you know and that that a sense of right can come from because I could sit there all night and rack my brains to come out with something so genius and this poor fucking Chinese fellow in some factory somewhere who's making shit you know has to 
do the graphic design for this fucking and, knockoff toy. And the thing with the sense of right thing, it it just sounds so perfectly like they've heard the word Justice League or something like that. It's been translated into another language and then translated back. And then translated back. Yeah. Like it's it's Yeah, and you can't perfect. you can't it you can only mock that. You can't really cre- recreate honestly recreate that and even if you did your intentions for doing it aren't the same you know it's like i want something ironically bad like sometimes i have people when i do toys in japan i'll write like i'll write something in english and and i'll write it in my mind about how what i think a bad translation in japanese would be and then i'll send it to japan and they'll translate that into japanese so it's like a bad translation of a bad translation but it's so self-aware already that you're not you're only attempting to to capture that feeling you're not actually doing it and you can't you can't you know because it's just not the same thing you're too self-aware so what what ended up happening with your um your breakbeat tape star wars breakbeats my original intention when i created that record was to to get lucas licensing to put it out and i had some people working for star wars insider um take it to some low-level people at at lucas licensing and I guess they liked it, but because I was taking actors' voices and the mechanicals of the of the music and stuff like that, and also cutting in with with third party loops, I was using like Cool and the Gang and Roger and Zap and like you know all you know I sampled Janis Joplin. I sampled all kinds of shit. It was like there's no way we can license this record. It's impossible, you know. Even though we're Lucas licensing, you know, we would have to still pay Harrison Ford every time you fucking loop. I got a bad feeling about this on your on your fucking song. Really, they don't sign like they they need like they get money that way. I. I don't know, to be honest with you, but that was what was told to me. That yeah, this is yeah. a licensing impossibility, especially at that maybe at that time because the there was no understanding of a need for this product. This was like 1996, you know, and it's just like some bedroom DJ slapped together this sort of like wonky little fucking record of fucking droids bleeping over fucking beats. It was just like it just they just it didn't seem worth even investigating to them how to do it. They would just like have dismissed it immediately. So it was like I'd put so much work into it that I was like, I can't just I can't just put the shelf this. Why don't I put it out and force them to contend with me? It's like I hired a publicist. I gave this like uh music publicist who dealt with like college radio and stuff like that. I gave him like a couple of grand and a hundred CDs and he sent it out to all these radio stations and these newspapers and magazines and it got a shitload of press it got on national public radio it got on the college radio top the CMJ top 40 list and it, it got a lot of it got in all the DJ magazines and Star Wars Insider managed to slip a little something in there and was like good you know they're gonna come they're gonna take they're gonna sue me I'm gonna force them to sue me and and then they're going to realize that this is important and that just never happened so i was like fuck i'm sitting on all these cd's and this is a good record and it's like so i had to start a business to sell it so i went out and i started selling it in conventions i just sold it out of my pocket i had this whole fucking hip hop boba fett costume cuz in 96 no one's buying anything off the internet it was it's, the it's... very very beginnings of the internet but yeah like if you bought something on the internet it's just like I could just be throwing away money here. Who knows if it will turn Yeah, up. maybe. I had this company, I had this record store called Other Music here in New York, and they would carry it for me. And they, they were doing online sales like as early as like 
1998, you know, where, you know, you could, I don't, I don't even know if PayPal existed at the time. Nah. But no you would, way. you know, you'd give them their credit card and they would send you the yeah. thing. It was like one of the earliest places you can buy music. And I would give them 30 CDs. And I was still being careful not to be so obvious that I was selling it. So I had, you could listen to a couple of little shitty QuickTime snippets of it that took forever to download. And then if you really wanted it, you would email me and be like, where do I get this? And I would say, you could buy it here and I'd send them the link. Or you'd have to buy it from me at Star Wars Celebration out of my fucking pocket. And I did this for years and years and years and it got a lot of play and I was making a living off of this. I mean, I was a shit living, but I was still getting paid off of it. And then um, Phantom Menace came out. And suddenly, Star Wars wasn't cool anymore. It was like because what, what, what was so interesting for me is like when I was a kid in high in in junior in elementary school. When I was a kid in elementary school, I was not one of the so-called cool kids, but I knew everything about Star Star Wars, and I had all the toys, and that was sort of my social currency. That was what sort of made me cool. I was like I was like everyone came to my house to play with the Star Wars toys, and I knew everything about Star Wars toys, and everyone would play like stump you know stump me with trivia questions and you had the more realistic greedo with the orange yes i had the greedo with the vest i had everything and and that was how i got popular and then you know and then i struggled all throughout college because star wars wasn't cool anymore and i had to find some other way to be cool and then you know in the mid 90s when they announced that they were going to do the special editions and a new trilogy and then like that sort of retro the retro coolness kicked in and the sort of nostalgia of it and the mashup culture started coming in. I was like, I'm, I'm riding this wave again. And I took it. And then for like, a, there was like a good three or four years where like being a Star Wars nerd was a hip fucking thing to be, you know, and that lasted all the way until the fucking premiere of Phantom Menace. And then suddenly there was like, all right, too much, enough Star Wars. No, we're done with Star Wars for a while. And then the whole business dropped out and there was not, and then nobody wanted my record anymore. Really? So, like... Phantom Menace killed it. That's crazy. I, um... Well, I mean, don't you re- recall the sort of collective just disappointment after the movie came out? Yeah. You know? Like, and and just a glut of everything. And then, yeah, those... And then you would suddenly... There was the backlash where the, suddenly there would be bins of jar jars and just mm. like they made so much product and it was just like they were so hubristic about what they thought they could sell and you know people were too smart you know and they didn't buy it and then and my product got caught up in that yeah i just remember the the t-shirts just so many to my mind to my aesthetic really bad t-shirts like giant photo prints and yeah. all over prints where it was like this is nothing like i want to wear star wars i want to rep star wars but what they were making was like if it was anything else it'd be brutal like i don't want something that loud that much print i want something like you know because i grew up skateboarding so i wanted like like skateboarding Some and streetwear aesthetics are always the best. I just wanted a little Star Wars original logo on a t-shirt, not with like a wash that made it look vintage. I just wanted a one color print that just said Star Wars, or big any, Star Wars on the extreme back. Extreme graphics or any of that crap. Yeah, I just wanted, know, I don't want my shirt, my Jar Jar Binks shirt to look like a fucking energy drink commercial. But if it's a Jar Jar Binks shirt, then like now, with a layer of irony, it's like if if, if I saw an all over Jar Jar Binks shirt, I'd be like, "Yeah, I'm probably going to pick that one up because it, it's 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 so it's 
it's loud in so many different ways. Yeah, I, I can dig it. I mean, I don't, I don't think that it holds up. You know, like I, I still occasionally watch Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, and they just didn't really age really well. And trust me, I want to like them. I try so hard to squeeze as much value out of it, and then I do. I can't, there's like about 30% about Phantom Menace that I fucking love. And Attack of the Clones, I mean, is one of the dumbest movies ever made, I think. The plot makes fucking no sense at all. Just as an example, why does Newt Gunray want to fucking kill Padme, aside from the fact that he's just pissed off because she made him look like an idiot in Phantom Menace? But she's on actually the same political side as him. She doesn't want to create an army, and it's in his interest for the Republic not to have an army. And he is such a dumbass. Like, he got to the top... The Trade Federation, although Donald Trump got elected president, so I don't know. But like, and he doesn't realize that like she's actually by keeping her in the Senate, she's actually serving his purpose, you know. But he wants to kill her anyway. It doesn't make any sense. And why can't like the fucking they're in handcuffs? They're in these crude Geonosian handcuffs. Can't they open them with the Force? They open doors with the Force. The Emperor opens a pair of handcuffs with the Force. Like. It just, I can, I don't want to, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of talking about why Attack of the Clones is stupid because I love Count Dooku. I think he's the best part of that, but it's just like it just, it's so difficult to watch that movie because it, it insults your intelligence watching Attack of the Clones because it's just so badly written. Have you ever watched like the the Phantom editors cuts? Uh, no. Yeah, I'd be interested. Do see. they do they work? Oh, they're they're perfection. Like I. Like when I watched, like I used, to, he did, um, like he did the original sort of fan edit of the the Phantom. These edit. aren't the Plunkett reviews, are they? No, 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 no. He actually like re-edited the film on VHS. Later on, he did it like. On How a, short is it? Um, it's it's like if you watch it, it's like it seems like the same film, but you go, it seems better than I remember. Like, what, what does he take out? All the stupid shit? Like, it was sort of reported that he took out Jar Jar, which is not true. It's more he took out excessive Jar Jar. Because his um, contention, because he's been on the podcast before, was that they'd have this dramatic scene in The Phantom Menace, and then it would, at the end of the scene, Jar Jar would go, Maga, Maga, Moo, Moo. And just undercut the whole yeah. fucking thing. Yeah, and so he'd just... Like chop that out. That's a great Jar Jar impression, by the way. Thank you, thank you. And um, so I, I wonder because I would, the, I made them that they were my versions. I'd watch, and then we did a commentary of the Phantom Menace at a um, like a comedy night in Australia, and I was like, oh my god, this thing! It's it's just going like this this pod race. I I never knew it was so long because I'd been watching this trimmed down yeah. like version. The pod race is one of my more favorite parts of it. I actually like the extended version on the on the DVD. Oh, extended version. Just just give me one lap. One lap's enough. Maybe, but I mean the thing about the pod race that's so stupid is it doesn't serve the purpose it's supposed to serve. I mean, my understanding is I think by, you know, he, they almost get it right where like you sort of Anakin Skywalker has sort of parallel experiences to Luke Skywalker. And that was like 
the same that was sort of his trench run in the Death Star. And this is supposed to be a scene that's supposed to dem- demonstrably show us without a doubt that Anakin Skywalker is gifted with the Force. You know, he's the only human being that can do this thing. And there's supposed to be some moment, a crucial moment where he calls on the Force to win the race. I mean, I thought that was the point of it. And instead he just oh. fiddles around, you know, and it's like I this, like my my favorite memories of Star Wars are the ones I remember from when I saw the film the very first time, and I remember sitting in the theater in Rosebud in Australia in the little town I grew up in, and Anakin's reaching for that thing that had gone loose, right? And it's jolting around, and I think he gets a spanner or something, like a magnetic thing. Yeah. Why didn't he use the Force? I was like. This is it. He's going to use the force. This is the first time he's going to use. This is awesome. This is awesome. And he uses a, like a magnetic spanner. It's like I've got a magnetic spanner. Anyone could have done that. Like they're they're failing on occasion after occasion to show us why is this kid so fucking special. And the only reason like the audience is led to believe he's special is because Qui Gon did the stupid blood test and keeps going on and on and on about he has the force. He has the force. He has the force. Show us. You know. It's like and it's funny because George Lucas himself said as a critique of poor filmmaking is like don't tell show it and then he does the opposite and it's just telling and telling and telling when there's just like opportunity after opportunity to show it and i just it just baffles me why that flow and it's just like it's why i just like it always takes me out of the movies you know because like that it seems so obvious to me and just like i don't the, the attack of the clones is a senseless movie it's like you could have taken the events of the first two movies and sort of compressed them into a single film because then all the important shit that happens in Revenge of the Sith is just totally rushed. It's like I just don't buy his immediate descent into absolute evil. It's like I would much prefer to see like a gradual decline. Like I think Attack of the Clones just ends at this vague nowhere moment where he gets married. He should have got married at the end of the first movie. He should have been, they shouldn't have had a kid. It should have been the same actor the whole time. Mm -hmm. And maybe at the end of the first movie, he marries the girl. And that's his sort of first, like, rule he breaks. Well, there's a very interesting fan edit where it's not the Phantom Editor. it's, It's someone else. And he edits the end of the Phantom Menace, the lightsaber battle. That's the start of Attack of the Clones. So you, it starts like, you know, like Empire Strikes Back starts with like a right. you know, crazy action scene. So that's the start. Yeah, but then what the fuck is in Phantom Menace or does it not exist? No, it doesn't exist oh, okay. in, in this premise, do you know right. what I mean? Yeah, I which which is very interesting, which I don't like. I like it as a reinterpretation. Like sometimes people like go, like there's that machete order where people go, just ignore the Phantom Menace. And, and like, I don't know, as a Star Wars fan, the Phantom Menace is like, you know, it's a big part of my life, like as as being a Star Wars fan, because that was you know a really exciting time, whether you liked it or not. I've got fond memories before and after that film. Yeah, the time was great. Yeah, and but I I found that very interesting. But I think that's like one of the key things which I always found so weird that like the ten year time jump and the new actor. It, it's it's like I think so I think just I think in retrospect. Bad call. Yeah, I think they should have just had the same actor all the way through. I would have sort of got to the point a lot quicker in the first movie. And in the second movie, I would have had the part where he 
him and the Emperor kill Mace Windu as sort of the end of the movie. It's like that second movie ends where, you know, they've teased throughout the first two films that he might be mm. teetering on the brink of doing something evil. And then at the end of the second movie, he does the first irredeemable thing where his first true act of the dark side happens. And then the third movie is a much longer descent where they, you know, really dramatize and emphasize you know him losing friends and losing and then slowly shedding everything that made him who he was and obi-wan is like the last guy that's like backing him up because they suggest that in 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 return of the jedi when luke is like there's still good in you and vader is like obi-wan once thought of as you do we never saw any of that we never ever saw them really have any sort of relationship once he started going to the dark side it meant immediately to the lightsaber fight and i just thought they just missed so many opportunities of characterization and development to to really stretch out the 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 rationalization of the of the of the evil and it was just it just it was like turning on a switch and i just didn't i just didn't think it was very convincing This episode of Steel Wars is brought to you by Harry's Shavers. Now, listen, you guys, if you are a shaver, but you like paying lots of money for razor products and you don't like free things, just ignore what I'm about to say now. However, if you do use shavers, if you do use shaving products and you would like the best in the business for low, low prices, then go to harrys.com forward slash Steel Wars right now and you will get Harry's free trial offer. Jeff and Andy at Harry's are so certain that you are going to love the Harry's Shavers Blades. They're going to send out a trial shave set for free when you sign up at harrys.com forward slash Steel Wars. You just have to pay the shipping, which is like $3.00. Which is nothing, because you get a weighted ergonomic razor handle, five precision engineered blades with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, a rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover, which is handy when you're jetting about like myself. Now, why are they so confident they can just give away razors and think you're going to come back for more? Well, because over three million guys have already switched over to Harry's. Harry's have stripped out unnecessary features like vibrating handles, heating blades, 15 lubricating strips, that sort of business, and unnecessary costs like that supermarket middleman to deliver direct to the customer one perfect razor at an amazing price. And because Harry's owns their own razor factory, they're able to deliver amazing quality blades for just $2 a blade compared to the $4 or more you will pay at the drugstore or supermarket. And it's delivered to your house. And all products are backed by a 100% quality guarantee. You can't get any more percentage in your quality guarantee. You can go over, but they're lying. You can't. All right? You just can't. 100%. That's enough. That is the top quality. That is the 100% of quality guarantee is 100%. Admittedly, I have no idea what I'm talking about anymore. But... If you'd like to support the podcast and also take advantage of this great offer. I got sent a pack and now I am hooked. No more supermarket razor shopping for me. It is half price at Harry's. So go to harrys.com forward slash Steel Wars right now. That's harrys.com forward slash Steel Wars. Now, um, we've talked about how the music industry snubbed you. And then you had to go it alone. Yeah. Let's let's get in how the toy industry snubbed you. 
Okay, that that's fun. And then you how you had to go it alone. Okay. Um I've always been inclined to make toys, you know, I told you about my Greedo soap mold thing, you know. Which personally I find one of the most endearing stories that anyone's ever told. Really? Just because like you're you know, you you're this New York artist, you know, living down here in Canal Street doing your thing and that your backstory is that you were pressing Greedos into a soap mold when you were a child and that like relates you know, that's what you like I was just that at was your studio and you've got all these molds where you're like it's so sweet. Thanks. Yeah, well it just I mean that's the gift of Star Wars, you know, it's like that it's just a continuous thread throughout our whole lives like we were born at exactly the right I don't, I'm not exactly sure how old you are but it was uh, this sort of consistent thread throughout our lives and it was like how it play has always been part of our way of negotiating the world and negotiating ourselves and and it's just great that like something that I did when I was a little kid is gr- developed into something that I do as an adult and it's it's a, it's a great gift of, of Star Wars so that's why I'm on this motherfucking podcast that's why we're friends because of fucking Star Wars <laughs> But um, I'd always been inclined to make toys, and I wanted to fucking work for Hasbro. I wanted to make Star Wars toys. And I actually had a job at Hasbro um, doing low-level shit, like setting up their, their showrooms and stuff like that. I worked for a subcontractor where during Toy Fair, the big trade show, for the annual trade show for the toy industry, you know, they would roll out all their new product for the fucking buyers to look at. And back when I was working for them, like if you go to Toy Fair now, it's just like Formica kiosks and just the most minimalist utilitarian display. But back in the 90s, they had more money or whatever. So these showrooms were these full-on installations. Well, there was those magazines. There was Toy like, Mart. Yeah. And, and Toy there was Fair. Toy Fair. But um, I found Toy Mart sort of had better photos. And there was like they'd turn each Toy Fair into like a three issue thing and they would show these displays of like toys from you know all different franchises in these amazing dioramas yeah and it was like i would be buying them and by the time that magazine got to australia it was like you know 15 20 bucks right but it was just like i need to because it was it wasn't on the internet and it was like i just want to look at these dioramas all day it was one of one of the greatest creative experiences my life like you would go to the Hasbro showroom and you know they had so many brands you know and the Star Wars room was always the crown jewel like you walk in and the first room is Star Wars and it's like you go into this like through this tunnel and you're on the a set made to look like the bridge of a Star Destroyer everything is correct you know the walls that fucking circular tunnel the you know the fucking window that looks out into outer space and I and and there'd be little dioramas of all the, you know, like there would be like the Rancor Pit or the Cantina or the the Endor Forest, all perfectly executed model making and just like fake foliage and just like these excellent dioramas. And I made those things. I, I worked on the team that created those things. And I thought that if I just really impress Hasbro with the work I'm doing here, because we didn't really work for Hasbro per se. We worked for a, a subcontractor, like a design company that they would hire 
and it was like a freelance gig to set this shit up. But I was always trying to upsell myself and jump ship and get invited to work with fucking the Lucas because the Lucas people would come through. Everyone would have to come through and do all these approvals. And the reason I was able to make a little bit of a name for myself is because when I first started, and this was like right in 90, was it 96, 97 when they first launched the Power of the Force line and they were going big and they made a diorama of the cantina and I wasn't on the Star Wars team at the time. I was working in the fucking goddamn Spirograph room. But I would always go into Star Wars to see what was up. And the, the senior trimmers, we were called trimmers because we did the trimming, um, were... Can I just ask, what display did you do in the Spirograph room? It was just like putting vinyl graphics on the wall and okay. shit like that. And just like, <laughs> you'd have to... Uh, we, they they had all these, you know, everything was custom made. So it was like, you know, had the, the signs and graphics and gotcha. pedestals. And I had to like take the spirograph out of the box and set it up and make it look attractive in the display. And, but, you know, that I wanted to work in the stars room and I saw they were putting droids in the cantina. You know, they put the ASP7 droid in four LOM in the, in the cantina. And I was like, you know, you, you, you can't do that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You have, you know, and, and and they were like, get the fuck out of here because these weren't, these weren't, these were, you know, these were people, these were freelancers that just worked in display. They didn't know Star Wars per se, you know, that just happened to be what they were working on and they didn't take me seriously. So they kicked me back to Spirograph and I'm sitting there in Spirograph crying because the Lucas people were coming the next day to do the approvals and I'm, and I'm in there and I, and I want to, I want them to. I want to meet these people and sell myself to them. And I was banned from the room. And then I guess the Lucas people went through and then they were like, they called me back to Star Wars and like, okay, you were right. You know, we got our fucking ass handed to us for these fucking droids in the cantina. You set up the figures. So then I became the main guy in charge of, you know, of merching up the Star Wars room. I, I, I love stories where it's like knowing this useless shit turns out to be, it's something. I guess, but it didn't. It ultimately didn't work because I was, you know, I finally, all, all right, I'm running the Star Wars room, and I remember when Phantom Menace came out, we we cre- recreated literally like a replica of Watto's junk shop, and I put so much effort into like curating every detail. They gave me thousands of dollars to go to Canal Street and go to all the surplus stores and buy like junk oh, and metal because shit. The promo budget would have been. It was huge. huge, and they gave me so much money, and I was it was my job to sort of like buy the set dressings. So I would go down to Canal Street over here in Chinatown, back when you could still buy like broken electronics and random metal flotsam and jetsam and bits of surplus, and I meticulously, you know, curated the fuck out of this room to make every detail look like it was a real Star Wars movie, because, you know, I rem- you know I used to see- watch the making of Star Wars and how they would use regular everyday junk and just alter it slightly, so I was coming at it from that true Star Wars philosophy of, like, taking junk and turning it to something magical just by, like, switching two pieces and, 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 and putting a little paint on it to make it look distressed 
and then uh, I thought like the Lucas people are going to see this and and I'm going to and I'm going to elevate and I had this myth in my head it's like this is Watto's junk shop and I'm Anakin you know and the Lucas film people are like Qui-Gon Jinn and they're going to come in here and see me and discover me and take me to Coruscant I really literally believe this and then I, and then they come in and I sort of <laughs> And I sort of suggested that to them in some way, and they're like, oh, Watto. Hey, Watto in his junk shop. And they kept calling me fucking Watto. And I'm like, no, I'm Anakin. Take me with you. And I was like, no, you're Watto, you know, and you're not going anywhere, you know. Whoa, wait, wait, wait. They legitimately they called actually, you Watto. When I remember there was this sort of smug, hotshot kid who worked for Lucas Licensing who would come around, you know. They would be there for a few days, you know, working on things and deals and shit like that. And I remember, you know, I was, I was, such, I was such an ingrate. You know, I was ingratiating myself to everybody and really leaning in i wasn't i wasn't really supposed to be doing this we we were supposed to shut the fuck up and be invisible because we were just these low level you know artists artisans you know and we had nothing to do with the executive part of this but i was always trying to wheedle my way in and he called me Watto you know he was like hey good morning Watto and he kept calling me fucking Watto and it was like and then i just realized I'm not going anywhere here. There's no elevation. There's no there's no le- there's no door here. They are never going to see me the way I want them to see me and boom, that door just fucking closed. And so I looked elsewhere for my success as a toy maker and there was like a designer toy movement, the vinyl toy movement, maybe, you know, it's like uh this sort of artists from new york and hong kong and japan this is like in the late 90s were manufacturing toys like artists like cause and futura and guys like that were uh, making these like limited edition figures um in asia and and i sort of knew these guys and i was like maybe this this could be my way you know because my stuff is a little strange and edgy and and then i ingratiated myself to all of those people and tried to get into that world because maybe I just wasn't quite hip-hop enough or I wasn't famous enough. I wasn't a proven commodity. Nobody wanted to pay me any, pay, you know, pay to make my toys. And what sort of toys did you have? Like, what's, what sort of At the time, I was making sort of like, I was sculpting shit out of Sculpey. And it was all like this wonky, either Star Wars parody figures or I would make like a little Atari, but it was a monster, you know. It was like an Atari with teeth and the feet and face. Or uh, just like punk rock figures with dicks or like droids that were hip hop, you know, like a, like a break dancing robot crew, stuff like that. So where did that fit in with the timeline with like, like there's like those cause stormtrooper figures. Those and are later. And then there's like that added ass ad at and stuff like that. Oh, that Bill McMullen made that, the ad at the Adidas ad at that came out, I think in 2004, but it's funny because that guy, Bill McMullen actually played a, played a role uh, he was he had a store called Go To on Delancey Street around 2002, and and they were sort of peripherally uh, connected to this. Like they did that this this artist named Eric So, who was uh he was like was Michael Lau and Eric So were sort of the early pioneers of vinyl figures. What's and, Michael Lau's brand? Uh, Crazy Children. He uh, he had like the King of Toys. There were these. He had a bunch of different things. What's that name? Yeah, I I can't quite describe it. They were just these like really strange figures. They were sort of hip hop ish. Like they all had like giant Adidas sneakers, but big heads and huge hands. And 
Yeah. They were sort of like basketball players, but not. And just, uh, it was it was this whole thing. And then the Eric So was another artist. He did this whole Bruce Lee thing. And they, sh- and they showed that work at this store called GoTo. And, s- and then there was another company called 360 Toy Group who was making causes stuff, like his first toys. Like there was like companies like Bounty Hunter, uh, 360 Toy Group, um, Bathing Ape. Mm-hmm. All these old companies were, even A-Life, you know A-Life, they were making stuff with some of these guys. But these were real dudes, you know. These were people that had been famous graffiti writers or, you know, had already achieved something in life. And uh, I'm I- swimming in the same pond, but I can't. Yeah, I, I, I find cut. that because, like, you know, I would hear of that stuff, you know, through magazines and stuff in Australia, but like, so it seems like, and and I think there's, I don't know if it's just me or what, but I I just found everything like in America where it's Star Wars or what, it's like it's in America, it's so far away, like it's fourteen hours on a plane, it's on right. the other side of the planet, like, you know. I, we were talking before the podcast about the the Your Snoke Theory Sucks thing. Like the fact that like a director of a Star Wars film held up something that I made and took a photo of it is like like it's I it's can't, fantastical. I like I can't like I'm I'm like three years ago I could not have fathomed it. Like it's cause it's so like I put all that stuff and maybe because Lucasfilm it's such like this you know, weird independent like company where it's just like just to to broach like just to know someone that works there I found was like weird. Yeah. But what's it like when all this success is happening around you? If you can't touch it yourself, it's really fucking frustrating. And it's almost worse because this was happening on like on my block. I knew all of these people. I had access to these people and they knew my work and they knew I wanted to be involved. And I wasn't, you know, I was like standing next to them, but I wasn't of them. And it was incredibly were, frustrating. Were they cool to you when you like, yeah, they, were, to they them? were cool, but they were just like, you know, what are they going to do? They're making their own shit. Why do they want to they, they yeah. only do so much? It's incredibly frustrating to be surrounded by all this success and to be swimming in the same stream as some of these guys, but you're not getting there. And there was, and then there was, uh, there was there was only so much to do. I realized that door was closing too. A, a company called Kid Robot came out. Yeah. Soon after that, and it's like I had been campaigning and like doing everything I could to like make it known that I'm a toy fucking guy. And I was had so much work, either my custom Star Wars figures or my Sculpey figures or my fucking original characters, and just nobody was buying it. And then Kid Robot was almost like the last stop on the fucking train. Like a lot of those early guys, like resented Kid Robot because they were taking something that was kind of cool and underground and difficult to access and exclusive and trying to like make it really accessible and mainstream. I know a lot of those guys jumped ship or just didn't want to fuck with this company, but I didn't give a fuck. Those guys didn't do anything for me. So I'm going to, you know, if Kid Robot is fucking putting people on, I'm going to go to Kid Robot. And they were giving deals to fucking a lot of people. If you had like a character or a graffiti tag or whatever, you were getting a fucking toy and I fucking made this huge pitch in a campaign and fucking befriended all of them and no, no action. No fucking deal. We're not making your shit. This was even before I called myself the suck lord, you know, but we're not, you're not, we're not making your shit. You just, no reason. We're just not. And then I realized uh, this is all leaving me behind. You know, it's like I've been doing this since 1979 when I made that fucking goddamn soap mold of Greedo. I am a fucking toy guy, and it's my 
my life is to make toys and none of the fucking toy people and I've talked to everybody want to fuck with me so I have to make it happen myself so I was still working for Hasbro and I liberated from their showroom uh, a Count Dooku figure and a Jango Fett figure and I put the Jango Fett head on the Count Dooku and I was like a bounty hunter Sith Lord that's like everything I'm about right now you know it's like I'm identifying with evil I'm identifying with the self-interested bounty hunter who only cares about the money and the fucking Sith Lord who is diabolical and will use whatever um, illegitimate means he needs to to get what he wants and I synthesize these two characters and who's also got mad skills yes who's got mad skills and a fucking dope lightsaber the Dooku lightsaber is one of my favorite lightsabers um the scimitar style and uh and i and i and i made a i made a mold of this i was working at for hasbro i was working at the shop in queens it was like a fabrication shop where we would make all their fucking props and signs and then it would get shipped into the into manhattan to go into the showroom and while i was working there doing some fucking incredibly mundane thing i remember i was like painting baseboards for one of the for the play-doh room or something like that like they had these you know, they, you know, you'd put like the trim at the bottom of the of the showroom, and we're painting these things like these pastel colors. And while the paint was drying, I had underneath this like fucking blanket, this little rudimentary casting shop where I had this casting resin and the silicone that I'd stole from them, and I was fucking just running off these little fucking Dooku Django Fett things, and I made like fifty of them. So. You got the figures. These were figures that they were going to display at the trade show. It was like after they were displayed. Oh, okay. Sometimes they just didn't. They they didn't, they wouldn't take. I didn't. I didn't steal them per se, but it was just like once you opened up the package and put it in the in the display case. Once once it was done, they don't need those figures anymore, and usually they donate them or something. Yeah, yeah, something. yeah, yeah. I just sort of you know took them. It was funny. I went to art school, and um. I learned something here and there, but the, the thing I learned more about what I do now was from the toy doctors at Hasbro. They have this uh, model shop. There's a place, and these guys get treated like shit too. It's funny. It's like these are all the hands-on guys that actually make models and make the molds and sort of create the prototypes and stuff like that. And usually when they would do toy fair, they would bring a few of them out because the they would be not not everything on display would be. Um, product it would be prototypes and they would have to you know they would break or they would need to be fixed and our jobs overlapped a little bit because it's like I was the guy that was actually putting the model in the display but they were the guy that was actually making the model and so I had to go and visit them a lot and be like this is broken this is is," and they would let me do shit and they would let me sit at the workbench and put the styrene rods that they would use to connect the figures and just like and I saw how they use all their tools and shit like that and it's like that's where I really learned like my model making kit bashing skills and um so they would let me take shit, you know. They would they were fucking blue collar guys, you know. They hated the executives too. You know, so they would let me take shit. So I would come out of there with fucking boxes of shit, you know, fucking adats, you know, the fucking ad, one of the free adats I got from Toy Fair 1998 had my friend cover it with arabesque graffiti and it sold to fucking Christie's auction house for like $5,000. So, you know, it's just the funny the provenance of some of these fucking things, you know, where they actually came from. 
Um, so yeah, so I, I got the Dooku and the Django and I made a mold and I was like, while I was on the clock for Hasbro, I was cranking out these figures. I want, I like, I wanted the criminal aspect of this to be maximized. It's like, I want to steal every single fucking thing I'm doing here. I want this to be the most dishonest, reprehensible toy ever created, you know? So I made these figures and I'm like, what the fuck is this called now? You know, and I already come up with the name Suckadelic for my records because I wanted people to know that this is a handmade product a bootleg if you will and the quality is going to be a bit questionable and it's going to suck a little bit so but it's transformational sucking you know it's elevated sucking so i come up with the term suckadelic and then here i was looking at this character and it was the first figure i ever made and it's like this is uh the 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 the, the guy behind suckadelic this is the ruler of suckadelic and he's he's mad and he has this overblown sense of megalomania and misanthropy he's like a megalomaniac and a misanthrope so he's the suck lord you know he's like he's the, he has this incredibly huge ego and he also fucking hates himself you know and it was like it just all sort of came together in this singular figure and and that's where so the, like that's the, the thing started so like the king of failure yeah or you know or like um the the He's either he either or, succeeds or like the, in winning, or, or like the best of the unsuccessful, the best of the worst, yeah. or the worst of the best. Mm-hmm. One one of those things, and uh, it's the best and the worst at the same time. He wins by failing, he wins by losing, and it was just it, it was all it was all sort of encapsulated there, and and that became the toy. And and I at first you know I started selling these things for twenty bucks, and it was a tough fucking sell. Uh, now they go for like fucking seven hundred to eleven hundred dollars. You know, if you can find one of these fucking things, believe it or not. Oh, the OJs. Yeah, the very yeah. first one. But then uh, I sold enough of them to keep going, and then I got I did the Gay Empire figure, and that's when it really started clicking because uh, Dove from DKE Toys was a famous toy distributor at the time. He was a, he was he was like the biggest uh, secondhand dealer of. Uh, secondary market dealer of, of vintage Star Wars toys. He was acquiring Star Wars t- collections and flipping them. And he was into the esoterica and the strange. And he saw the Gay Empire figure because Frank Kozik wrote something about it on the Kid Robot message board. And he hit me up and he wanted to start an account. He wanted to distribute this thing for me. So I started selling it to him and I immediately started making money off of this shit. And I was like, and I never made money before in my life at anything, especially nothing creative. And now suddenly... What about your hip-hop thing? Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, that's true, that's true. I was making money off of that. Don't be so hard on yourself. Yeah, but I mean, it was the first. It was the first toy I ever made. I yeah. guess. and it was like fucking selling, and that's that's sort of where it, it happened. And that was like fucking thirteen years ago, and I'm still making these things now. So, explain the the figures that you make now, and and like the characters and and the backstories. I I do a couple of different things. I mean, I was really into. I'm really into parody. It's like I was really into wacky packages when I was a kid. So like those stickers from Tops are those like spoof products, you know, where that just like, you know, like dampers instead of pampers. So it's like these diapers that like are totally soaking wet. It's like these products that sort of argue against themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I always love that. So I always try to make the action figure version of this, like some figure that has no business existing or something just so preposterously like like the premise of the figure the existence of the figure undermines the 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 point of it it's like there's no reason to make a toy of this and i just trying to always trying to 
make a f- an absurdist, you know, like Dada-esque, you know, surreal thing, like some figure that exists in some alternate universe. And it's either just something preposterous, like I'm making like Robert Maplethorpe figures of like his, when he did that series of all the naked black men, I have a figure of that. Are you, that's, that's, that's too audio. Ref- you have to explain that reference for me. You know, Robert Maperthorpe is a famous photographer from the 80s, and he did these ver- these black and white photos, very explicit, like super homoerotic photos yeah, of like, okay. black men and stuff like that, mm-hmm. or like the guy with the whip stuck up his ass, and it was like, there's no reason for this to be an action figure, so I'm going to make an action figure of it, you know? Or it's a great action feature, though. Yeah, I the have whip like, up the ass. yeah, I have like a SpaghettiOs Micronaut. Like, I'm big in the Micronauts, you know? And so it's just like, anytime I want to make something that doesn't make any sense at all, I make it into a Micronaut. Like, I have, like, a Kentucky Fried Chicken Micronaut. I have, like, just... Because it's like, nobody knows what the Micronauts are already. And so to associate a Micronaut with something that has nothing to do with a Micronaut is amusing to my to me. Yeah, if you want to go down a rapid hole of toys micronauts was like late 70s like a- yeah i mean it's an it's a japanese line called microman microman and then migo this fucking iconic american brand uh got the license to it and then made american versions of it. and i remember buying those things right around the same time that the star wars toys came out and for a hot minute they lived on the same planet you know and then, you know, they fell into obscurity and Star Wars hit the stratosphere, but they're always there. And what I love about the Micronauts is, like, nobody knows what the fuck they are except a very select few of people who know every fucking thing about them. But it's like, I like to fuck with people. It doesn't always make money, but it's like I have, like, a fried chicken Micronaut and, like, it, doesn't, it just doesn't make any sense. But I almost think it's something, like, that Salvador Dali might have done, you know, or just, like, you know, it's just, like, it's designed to confuse and that's what I like taking like the basic structure of a figure and a blister card and then some in doing some inversion to it where it doesn't make sense or it shouldn't exist. Well, the one that you had last night at the gallery, which I was like, oh, like it, it had sold, but it was the, um, it wasn't Louis Vuitton. Louis Lutton. Yeah, it was. Louis Lutton. It was a designer gold stormtrooper on card with the repeated LV print. And I was like, I, I don't know why it appeals to me. No, I, neither do I. Because I, I always liked the, um, like one of the original sort of, I, maybe of this genre, but it's it's different, is the Louis Vuitton Air Force Ones. So somewhere right. around here in like uh, this area of New York, I believe, is that people would start getting the Louis Vuitton print and pulling apart Air Force Ones and making like these sort of collab shoes in the 90s before there was collab shoes. And it would be like if Nike did a, yeah. a, a like a Louis Vuitton shoe. And I, I, I don't know, I guess because I got that piece of sneaker collecting lore, like the blue snaggletooth, like oh, for Star Wars, that I always loved bootleg things in the Louis Vuitton print that shouldn't exist. Yeah. Like, they're ridiculous. The Louis Vuitton garbage bag, you've seen that, and the Louis Vuitton, uh, like the whole, like a, it's a car completely covered, yeah. or a Louis Vuitton house. Or the suit. Yeah. There's like, I've seen photos of people like going to like, out and they've they've got like a dress suit made of the Louis Vuitton repeat. Yeah, I mean Louis Vuitton is almost like of all the brands that have ever been bootlegged, it seems like that's the one that is the is this sort of er bootleg brand, like the ultimate. 
Well, it is because I went to. I love going to the Rose Bowl in in um, Pasadena, just out of LA. They have um, once a month a yeah, big yeah, flea I know, market, I know about that. and they have signs up just saying selling, like not just bootleg designer items, Louis Vuitton. So it's it's the king of the bootlegged item. Well, what's fantastic is that you can actually not not at this hour, but like earlier in the day, walk out of this apartment, go like half a block up the street, and buy a fucking grip of Louis Vuitton fakes, and then you can take the bags apart and take the the fabric and the material and do whatever the fuck you want with it. That's not what I did with the figure, but you know you could technically buy these bags, and then you just have this endless supply of Louis Vuitton material. You know, you buy a bag for like forty bucks. It's interesting because, like, it's weird that my life of like reading about these these sneakers, and so I'm told this is of value. That like these fake Louis Vuitton Air Force Ones, they're cool. So I'm told that. And so I take it in. So I, I think that's like really cool. And then years later, I see like Star Wars, which I've, you know, Your been fan. loved. So I like, it must be like as someone that, that does all this stuff, when someone gets these reference, like when someone like that someone, and I don't know if you found this person that loves fried chicken and micronauts and says, this is the item for me. It must be rewarding. They exist, but there are not that many of them out there. So when they do, you do find them, it's a, it's a real aha moment, you know, when somebody gets that. Because, like, you know, there's a lot of people that make this kind of stuff, and some of it could be easy. Like, some friends of mine, I always use this as an example, they made, like, a Darth Trump figure. They had, like, a custom Donald Trump head, and they put it on a Darth Vader body. And it's like... That's 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 a mainstream idea. You know, it's very easy to just say, okay, like Darth Vader is bad. Darth Donald Darth Vader is Donald Trump, so Donald Trump is bad. It's like it's easy, and it's like I don't knock people for doing that kind of thing, but that doesn't appeal to me. It's like what I like really challenging people with like what the connections are because when when the when the person most people are like have no idea and have no interest in trying to understand it they look at it they don't get it they keep it moving but one out of every like 10,000 people that look as to this thing absolutely get it and it's such a aha moment because it's so obscure and it's so off the mm. off the track and that's like that's where i think like the real magical things happen yeah like not to that degree but like i like when i do my t-shirts is mixing skateboard graphics with Star Wars. So I, I did like the the Ripper graphic. Bones, right? Yeah. And it, or it's the Pal Peralta, right? Yeah, yeah. So the skeleton coming through. Right. Like, which is, you know, why I grew up was and like... And you made that Kylo Ren or something like No, that. no, it's an Ewok. Oh, and then And then instead of Bones, it says Yubnub, but it's made out of wood, but in the same font. And right. people like it because it's like an Ewok and they just think it's cool. But then when you know someone, like someone that knows 80s skateboarding sees it and they're just like, ah, and it's, it's, it's sort of like. But why the Ewok? It's because it's so cute. It's the opposite of a skeleton. The skeleton. It's like an inversion. Yeah. And it's, so when people, like people like it just based on the Ewok, but when someone gets the reference, it's so like, and you've got a, like, you've sort of got a connection. Like I did like the, have you seen him? with Luke Skywalker and it's a bite of the animal chin. You, you, yeah, yeah. 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 So like people sort of liked it, but then when there was like old like skaters that were like, 
Hey, like it, it's it's rewarding. I, I I wonder, like with the gay empire thing, like have you got any stories of like like people connecting with that? Yeah, but I mean the thing is that's a little different because it's like there's 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 like a sort of traditional mashup where you're taking two unrelated things and putting them together and. I suppose in order to fully get what it is, you have to know what both of the things mm. are. And there has to be some reason why are those are the two things you put together. It's like a lot, of, it's easy to just pick a, it's like a and B and just slap them together. And both of the things are cool. So putting them together makes it doubly cool. But <clears throat> that's what I consider to be like a, a one plus one equals two. It's like the real magic happens when like some third thing is created, you know, when it's like somehow putting these two specific things together gives you an aha moment that is beyond those two things individually. And I can't think of a single example of that <laughs> being successful, but that's like the thing you strive for, yes. you know, where it's just like the, 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 it's not just about this is cool and this is cool. So their attempt together is cool. It's like if they're to, it, there's, there's something more going on. <clears throat> And with the gay empire, it's just like it's a fucking pink stormtrooper. That's all, and it says "gay" on it. It's the only thing that makes it gay. But somehow people respond to that because the stormtrooper is a is a universally recognized character. But then I guess you got to ask, like, why why that? I could have taken any Star Wars character. Yeah. Why I, the stormtrooper? Can I read into it? Yeah. That, like, the stormtrooper is like a galactic sign of authoritism and then it's being co-opted that like like in like in like he's like he's topless he's pink he's having a great time it's sort of like the ultimate rebellion to what the stormtrooper represents and especially when you look at if you want to like get super nerd and like stormtroopers are like kind of useless as you know they're just sort of suited up as a symbol of oppression in the galaxy. Although they fail to really oppress. Yeah, but it's more just the... Do you know what I mean? People just go, oh, stormtroopers. Like, and don't really get that they're kind of useless, which... And I, I think sort of, like, turning that symbol into, like, like an openly gay symbol, which is freedom to do what you want, that's... Am I reading too much into it? Well, I mean, to be honest with you, there is no answer to any of this. I, I created that by accident, and like I just wanted to make a pink Stormtrooper because I needed a sequel to the Sucklord 66 figure, and I was like, what's the other thing cool about Star Wars after Boba Fett? Stormtrooper. And what can I do to make the Stormtrooper as inverted as possible? Is like maybe change the color, and pink seemed to be like the opposite of that. And then... It was only after that I was like, oh, maybe he's gay. There was no real deep thought process up front. It was only after it was created that the meeting. Do you know what I feel like? What? The couple in Seinfeld that look at the Kramer painting and Uh and, and derive all this like, oh, he's got this ray. Yeah. And and it's like, no, it's a picture of a goofy dude. Yeah, no, there's no there's no. I mean, I myself, just for my own entertainment, try to sort of retroactively attach a meaning to it when there isn't one. But I think that's what kind of makes it successful is that it is sort of a blank slate. It's just sort of a suggestion of an idea. Yeah. And it's up to the viewer to sort of fill in the blanks. I mean, I have my own version of what I think it means, but 
it doesn't mean that's what it means. I, I almost feel like it's a sort of – my justification is that it's almost uh, – it is about gay conformity in a way, and where it's about a sort of call for gay militancy that like sort of like the, the, the advancement of gay liberation and gay rights – and I'm not even gay myself. This is just some, you know. I just like I'm just like I'm a fan of freedom across the board, and I'm 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 just offended by ignorance in general. And I just think like the prejudice against people who are who are not heterosexual is just preposterous intellectually, and that's why I'm offended by it, you know. So and that's why you know I advocate for these things. But it's like it's almost like a gay stormtrooper suggests that political the the, the sort of pacifistic political solutions to the oppression of gay people have not succeeded so uh violence is necessary or some sort of militant response you know is necessary and imagine if like <clears throat> if the gay rights movement was backed up by an army of shock troopers that would actually shoot you <laughs> if you got in their way and that was sort of the the idea of it um or that at least that's what I that's what that's what I read into it or like that like the gay community took up the strategy of the people that are against the gay community. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Perfect. Yes. That works. Like the gay mafia. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That works. That totally works. Cause I, I, I know like in like recent star Wars movies, especially the last one, it's like the agenda, right? The agenda of equality. Like, yeah. It's pretty heavy handed in last Jedi for sure. The agenda of Star Wars, like the message of Star Wars, is people striving for the galaxy to have equality. Right. Yeah, it's a pretty dim liberal liberal subtext to all of mm. it. So I feel bad for all these alt right fucks that like want it to mean something else, and it just doesn't. I mean, this is like gay Hollywood is making these movies, bro. You know, and it's just like it's it's Star Wars has a liberal subtext, and it always has, and. A lot of a lot of people on the other side of the political spectrum want to try to appropriate these things to to, to support their political viewpoints, and they just fucking can't because it doesn't fit. I mean, another another thing about the stormtrooper though that I think is interesting or applicable is like he's the everyman. He's the most generic person in Star Star Wars. It's like he has no real distinct personality, or he's not an individual. He's an ultimate conformist, and by you know, sort of putting the stormtrooper in different scenarios, you know, you're just basically saying this could be anyone. You know, this isn't like a special person or an elevated person or a celebrity. It's just like an average Joe, you know, is this, is this he's, a, he's a gay guy or he's like, you know, you see stormtroopers put in so many other uh, contexts and it's like always, I just feel like that's like, you could see yourself being a stormtrooper or just like it doesn't, you know, there's no individuality to a stormtrooper, and it sort of implies that if there's one of them, there's thousands of them, and that's why the sort of gay empire works. Because if there's there's not just one gay empire stormtrooper, there's legions of them. You know, and you're just gonna have to deal with the fact that you're outnumbered here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, succored! I've had this is it's been great. Thank you for inviting us into your studio. And into your home. Yeah. Uh, what we ask all guests uh, before we leave is with the infinite amount of Star Wars storytelling there's going to be, what do you most want to see or most w would like to see? Well, 
Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would like to. I would like the Star Wars movies to just continue on forever. I would like to see. I'm I'm totally cool with. I want Episode Nine to be satisfactory and sort of close this thing. I have no idea where they're going to go, and that's what I love about Last Jedi is like it sort of left. There was no agenda for the third film. It's like Empire Strikes Back ends. There's sort of you know what's supposed to happen next. They got to go rescue Han. They got to kill the Emperor. Um, For Episode Nine, we have no idea what they're going to do, and I love the fact that I'm on my toes here. But then, as far as like the anthology films. Um, I would love to see a Darth Maul film. I have a fucking great idea for a Darth Maul movie. I wish they would call me. I want to see an IG-88 movie. I, have a, I would love to write the IG-88 movie. Uh, I just want them to just keep cranking films out. I just want to see IG-88 walk. Yeah, me too. I just want to see I that. I want it to be awkward as fuck. Oh. You know, like this graceless, like, clomping. Um, what I would like to see is either in the films or a TV show a sort of smaller Star Wars. It's like, I, uh, the movies are great, but they all have to have the space battle. They have to have the lightsaber fight. They have to have these, just, these, these big epic things. I would love to see some sort of television show where they could tell like just like a, a smaller story that takes place in a smaller, and it doesn't need a huge space fight. Like I would love to see just like a, a, a half an hour, an hour about just some average person on Tatooine and just some compelling drama about their life or just, like I would love to see Star Wars like get more noir or cinematic or or, or like uh, you know delve into other genres of storytelling that doesn't have to be this sort of mythological shit. You know, I'd love to see it small and simple. Well, I would love to see a Star Wars television show where you could tend spend an hour telling like a smaller story about little nooks and crannies of the galaxy without having to have this big epic good versus evil struggle it doesn't have to be about the jedi it doesn't have to be about the force or the empire any of that stuff it could just be like little you know little windows into the galaxy and what i think some of the things that we haven't really seen which i think would be interesting is like i'd love to see like an hour-long episode about like the life of like a rock star in the world of Star Wars like who are the famous people like a movie star or just like a celebrity and just like what their life was like on Coruscant or going on tour or something like that or interesting that is something I don't know if that's ever been really it's hinted at but you know you never really know like you know like, who are the celebrities or what is the media or what do people watch on TV and like what are the lives of those people well, we saw a bit of that on the holiday special about what people watch on yeah, TV yeah and, and it's crap too and it's it's pretty lewd. But, but I mean, the thing is, with a Star Wars TV show, you could dip into... There's so many little windows. Like, for example, in Attack of the Clones, there's that one scene where Obi-Wan is on Kamino and he's looking at all the, the, the clone troopers eating. And most of them are just, like, looking at their food and eating. But the one guy, and you only see him for one second, yeah. he kind of looks up and he has this sort of suspicion about him. And is like... Who is he? And it's like, tell us a story about the one clone that that didn't take the aberrant clone and what they did to handle him. I mean, they kind of touch on that in the in the in the in the Clone Wars a little bit. But I mean, there's all these infinite little moments where you could just tell like a sort of a, a quieter story about a single character at a certain point. You know, just like there's there's so much shit to talk about, and I would I would like to see that kind of shit in Star Wars in the future. Real cool now. I'm sure that people are very interested to uh, 
check out your work and what you're doing. Are they? I mean, if they're still listening, probably. Oh, don't be like that. You're the, I'm a you're, fucking humble motherfucker. You're the Lord of Suck. You're not the Suck Lord. Okay, fine, fine, fair enough. Okay, get or the to, other way around. You want Whatever. me to just give my credentials and all that shit? Yeah, and 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 also give a bit of sizzle for the um the YouTube show as well. Okay. Uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram or Twitter, it's at SuckLord, one word, S-U-C-K-L-O-R-D. My website is suckadelic.com, suckadelic, and you can link to my fucking store there, and you can go buy something if you felt so inclined and to support. You can follow my Patreon, and I give exclusive fucking videos and shit like that, uh, patreon.com slash thesucklord. One word, I have a podcast called The Suck Hour, and if you want to listen to my two-and-a-half-hour breakdown of The Last Jedi, you can find that at YouTube, The Suck Hour. And then I have another movie called Toy Lords of Chinatown, which is like a, a serialized adventure of the bootleg toy rackets and the adventures of the Suck Lord as a fantasy character and what he has to do to stay in the big chair in the... Uh, bootleg action figure mafia here below canal street and you can find that on youtube it's uh toy lords of chinatown and if you really want to be a stupid fuck you could go and uh <laughs> you can go on youtube and keep going you could go while i was on you could go watch my reality show programs on my on my website uh, you could go to suckadelic.com slash um, video, and I was on a reality show called Work of Art, The Next Great Artist, and you can watch me on television. I was on The Dating Game, and I was on a bunch of other TV shows, and all those things can be found on fucking YouTube. And uh, and that should be enough, Suck Lord, for you. That's the most self-depreciating plug ever. Like, I feel like I want to check out those videos, but you've sort of said to me that, like, I'm an idiot for doing but so. That's you're an asshole for buying this, <laughs> and I'm an asshole for making it. Thanks so much, Suck Lord. Thank you, Mister Steel Wars. And this is great. May that force be with you. The force will be with you always. <laughs> may the force be with you. Hey, you guys, thank you for listening to what I found to be such an enjoyable conversation with the Suck Lord. And uh, as I asked for during the podcast, please try to pot it forward. The link to the tweet is in the show notes. You just click on that, hit retweet. You've done me a world of good, you know. Maybe let's, let's, let's try to get 100 retweets on this bad boy. Let, let's start reasonably low when you consider the amount of people that download the podcast. Let's see if we can we can just get that amount of um, interaction. Interaction. And of course, the bigger the podcast gets, the better stuff we can do, better guests, more stuff. Very exciting. So um, it'll come back. It'll all come back. Uh, we've got some great episodes coming up. Um, next week, we'll be talking to Anthony Bresnikan about his Entertainment Weekly solo cover and coverage. And we'll also be talking to him about uh, the Game of Thrones guys getting their own Star Wars series. Always the best time when the Brez comes back to Steel Wars. And then the week after that, we have got just... One of the feel-good stories in Star Wars details, all the way back from our 100th episode. He's played creatures in The Force Awakens, Rogue One, and The Last Jedi, and he is back to regale us 
with more stories from those sets. And I'm chomping for you guys to get onto that one. So uh, I can't wait to drop that one. So make sure you're subscribed uh, on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And if you are on iTunes, take a second to uh, leave us a sweet five-star review. It bumps us up the rankings, makes me feel warm inside and vouches to other potential listeners that we're doing good stuff. And it also bumps down these hate-filled reviews that people like to leave because, I don't know, but when you read them, they're uh, pretty interesting or not. My other comedy podcast, I Love Green Guide Letters, just dropped a new episode. We review the complaint letters to the TV Guide in Australia. If you don't know Australian TV, it doesn't matter. I don't know it either. I don't know it either. And neither do this week's guests, Dave Anthony and Gareth Reynolds from the mega comedy podcast, The Dollop. That's one of the big ones. And Gareth Reynolds, you might know if you're a regular Steel Wars listener, as he was on our LA Podcast Fest live episode, and he was absolutely hilarious with uh, Jenny Jaffe and Jason Ward live at the LA Podfest. So check that out at iloveGreenGuideLetters.com or on iTunes or wherever. Good or bad podcasts are downloaded. Remember, if you want to take advantage of our Harry Shavers offer, you just cover the $3 shipping and you get a trial shave set. Just go to harrys.com forward slash steel wars. You get yourself an awesome deal, free shavers, and it also supports the podcast. So click that link in the show notes. And while you're clicking links, youtube.com forward slash steel wars. We have got a solo trailer reaction with uh, a bunch of my after-trailer thoughts on video and also video clips from our highly acclaimed The Last Jedi one month later at The Scum and Villainy. We've already got four clips up with Kyle Newman, Ash Crozen, Laura Syracuse, Anthony Bresnikan, and the sunglassed one, Jason Ward. You need to watch it just so you can see Jason Ward talking indoors with his sunglasses. It is terrific. And we will be back at the Scum and Villainy on March 10th for a Rebels Reaction Podcast. It is the week of the finale. The finale will be uh, that Monday. And then that Saturday, we will have a panel of Rebels experts to break it down and come down. Enjoy it. It is turned into a great social occasion. Um some people got a little bit too social into the early hours after the last one, but that is fine. That is fine. It is good times. You can get tickets to that at steelwars.com as well as tickets to our Melbourne International Comedy Festival shows. I'm just there for one weekend doing three shows over the Easter long weekend and uh, can't wait to see you there. Get tickets there as well at steelwars.com. And if you want to support the podcast in a small financial manner and get a wealth of bonus content direct to your podcast app of choice. Become a Steel Wars Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Steel Wars. For just $3 a month, you can get access to our entire archives, around two, no, 350 episodes 
all ad-free, interruption-free, and bonus episode stuff that's never been on the normal feed. Uh, there is the Robbo Report, when me and Robbo, notorious call-in show caller, break down uh, his thoughts in Star Wars a couple of times a month. There is the Making Steel Wars show, where Jason Ward of makingstarwars.com.net and I go into the news behind the news, as well as Q&As and the call-in show bonus time. Plus, there's a few movie commentaries that you can play while you watch uh, A New Hope or The Phantom Menace, or if you dare, the Star Wars Holiday Special. And if you keep listening after the music fades out, I'll put in a little clip of The Last Making Steel Wars with Jason Ward and I chatting about that Star Wars. It's a super good deal. I try to keep the feed filled up with new content, and your $3 a month really helps support to keep the podcast going. So check that out at patreon.com forward slash Steel Wars. And mate, that force be with you. Yeah. I I kind of can see the doughy-eyed and and have not a problem with it. Because I, I think it I think at that time through both like they're both kind of naive characters. Mm-hmm. And I think at that time they both thought. Yeah, he's with me. Yeah, she's with me. And right. Then, and then after they killed everyone, it's like, ah, you think I'm with you. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I sort of. Oh like, yeah. Yeah. And 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 she, I mean, I mean, yeah, he gets uh, suspicious of her, and she immediately is already pulling for the saber. So she's completely on board. You know, she's doing the the uh, 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 same thing. I guess like uh, yeah, just. You know, and then I still kind of find it like a little bit confusing. Like, does um, does she actually knock him out and leave, or does he does she get away and then he pretends to have been knocked out to fake to put the murder of uh, Supreme Leader Snoke onto Bray? Oh no, it was my thought that the splitting of the lightsaber knocked him out because why would knocked? He... Yeah, yeah. You don't get to see what happened to her, but yeah. why would? Why would he be there playing possum while Hux got the gun out? Oh yeah, and then sorry, later, sorry, well, sorry, well, sorry, sorry, blaster. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. He might, he might think that he, you know, people sneak up on him when he's sleeping. He's okay with defending himself. We've, we've learned. But, <laughs> but, 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 uh, um, I guess the fact that Ray has both parts of the saber later in the movie is, and she does get away, is the thing that she won that clash, if you will. So yeah, I am, I'm. Jason, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to post this on my Patreon, and then I'm going to leave vindictive comments about you. This like, sounds about right. Like my own little YouTube channel, because <laughs> I, I just from I just found anything that happened in the throne room pretty flawless. I, I mm-hmm. I'm just like I'm blessed. I'm, oh I'm, no, it, it's my favorite part. It, it, it's definitely my my like favorite part. It's the it's it's the getting out of it is is where is where I'm like hmm you know could I could have used a little more maybe but 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 at but once again when we get to the next movie oh I might go that was a dumb criticism because what the next movie does I think is ultimately going to weigh on that moment whether whether that moment was a missed opportunity or not depends on what they do with episode nine and I like Ryan Johnson a lot and I kind of actually wish that this movie pushed. JJ and 
what would have been Trevorrow um, into episode nine a little bit more with a little bit more of uh, rigid rules, if you will. Like, I feel like the movie does end very open ended in such a way that it like I feel like they could disregard certain things in the film if they want to kind of don't like that. I, I hope they don't. I don't know. That's my I, fear. I, I think I always think it needed like I don't think that's why they wrote it, but I, I just think they it needed to be open ended. Like I don't think they meant it, but I think mm-hmm. it's kind of good just for like because people have just boxed themselves in about what it should have been, and oh yeah, that's why they hate it, or right, or, or part of it. Like, well, but but I also think that what's hurting what's hurting the movie in terms of like internet discourse, which should never be taken into account when making anything good, mm-hmm. um, is that it the fact that it there is no you don't leave this movie with with a big central question, and like that is sort of the good thing about like for like Force Awakens in my opinion doesn't do anything, it implies a bunch. And people built up things in their head that this movie had to like deal with. And then it didn't happen the way that they thought or they wanted or what they assumed or what they hoped for. And so their initial reaction is, I hate this movie. I want out of it. Bye. And, and, uh, but this movie that we have now or where, where it's left off, it's kind of like, I don't really know what the central question is after coming out of this film. Like, I, like you're not really asking who her parents are necessarily. I guess some people might be asking was was he lying, but her performance to me telephones no. He wasn't lying about her parents. She knows it's true. That was it. Now, that's how I feel about it. And so I'm leaving the movie kind of like with like, well, the next movie is just going to be it's more Ray and um, Kylo. You know, it's more Ray and Kylo. And I don't really know what I'm like looking forward to. Like, there's not like a moment where like Hans and Carbonite, you know. Or how are the Clone Wars going to end? How is this war going to end? Like, there's not like a thing like that for me, yeah. other than like, I, like, like it's there's going to be more Star Wars I, forever. I don't think your how the Clone Wars is going to end is a good example. Oh, that, okay, fine. But it does it does end with like it, the movie does end saying begun the Clone Wars have, and then yeah, you know that it's and, and, the next one. Oh, dude, and, and you're like, dude, you're like, you're like no, City shush, shh, shh. At the end of Attack of the Clones, Yoda says, Begun the Clone Wars have. At the end yeah. of The Last Jedi, Luke Skywalker says, The war's just beginning. Yeah. Let me ask you that. When he says that, when he says that, it, you know, it's just beginning. Like, did everyone like, hear that pause? That's him. Like, no. going, damn it, damn it, checkmate, Saunders. Yes. No, uh, uh, a fr- a friend of ours just retweeted something um, that that we did and put some uh, very nice, colorful commentary. Okay. Um, sorry, and it popped up on my screen. Anyways, um, <laughs> I love up, it how up. you like. Oh, it was a sweet compliment that it. <laughs> oh, it's far from a compliment. Oh. Um, um <laughs> that that said, uh, no, um. When Luke says that, is he talking about this war between the First Order and that? Or is he just talking, you know, like, like it didn't, it wasn't so specific as the Clone War. Like, like the Clone Wars, that's a thing. He's like, Luke could just be talking like waxing philosophically, like these wars would be going forever because this universe is crazy, you know? And like, I really, I really think. That did not seem like the line delivery Mark Hamill gave. 
I, I really do think though that like like it's gonna it's gonna be open to interpretation what that line means, and like I'm not like going like you know is he gonna find out Palpatine is Darth Sidious or something like that. So, and and I think that's a product of of the single writer single director. You're not doing the sequel thing with Ryan Johnson. I think he got in there and he made his movie, like he dealt with his characters and he satisfied himself, and he made a complete story. And I think he ultimately did the right thing for him. Because it's not really like, why does he care necessarily about setting up the next guy to make like the best thing when he wants to? He's worried about himself making the best thing he can make, and and I kind of think that that's what happened there. That's just, that's just my guess, but um, but I what I'm where I'm going with all of this is I think that's sort of the uh the the problem is that without that, people are just harping on the movie instead of dreaming about what's next. And I don't hear a lot of people dreaming about what's next online. I don't. I don't see. I haven't encountered a lot of that personally. Dude, I've only. Have you? Do you know what's next? What? Some sweeping. Sweeping, yeah. Just a shit ton but, of sweeping. But, shit ton of sweeping. Uh, Jedi are now janitors in the galaxy. <laughs> they they clean stuff up. If they notice the crime, they they are reactive. Nice undercover Jedi. <laughs> um. All right. I'll, I'll give you. A, another my my main one is just yeah that i i think luke and leia should have acknowledged at first i thought i sort of thought that poe should have said something i know he gawks out the window with um connex but i i think it would have been lovely at the end just to for him to say how is your training been going or, or just you know like i'm not a script writer to hear the full version of this episode of Making Steel Wars, along with the 350 or so other bonus episodes in the Steel Wars Patreon supporter feed, go to patreon.com forward slash Steel Wars and test it out for a month. I'd really appreciate it. Cheers.
Hey, you guys, if you've stuck along with the episode for this long, then we're obviously doing something right. So tell the world by going onto iTunes and leaving us a sweet five-star review. It bumps us up the rankings, vouches to other potential listeners that we're doing good stuff, and also makes your host feel warm inside. If you have a couple of seconds to spare to post one up, I'd really appreciate it. And I will see you on the next episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 